together toward the front. We're just going to be concerted in our prayers today. Amen. Amen. Combine our faith. I know that it turned out to be a pretty nice day. Looking like uh, not bad weather after all. Uh, Had to make the call Friday. Didn't want to have $600 worth of fried chicken and nothing to do with it. So we had to kind of make that call ahead of time. And uh, I think there's still a pretty good chance it's going to rain throughout the day. Anyway, um, I'd have said we're going to have it, and it'd be pouring down buckets right now. So you just never know what's going to happen. Amen. I have confidence that you all will still know how to make the best of the day. Amen. <coughs> um, some of the prayer requests, I know that we want to join together this morning. I know we do have several families that are traveling. Uh, be with them. I'd be in prayer for them. That Lord would keep them, protect them, be with them, amen. Uh, also, uh, let's see, continue to pray for Brother Henry, amen, Brother Henry, for his health, for his healing, amen, for Sister Barry, for her healing, amen. Uh, Brother Mike Wood, I've talked to him a little bit in the last week, continue to pray for, for Big Mike. Uh, Rivera's both brother and sister Rivera, I know, are, have had some health issues, want to continue to pray for them, Elder Scriber. We can continue to keep Elder Scriber in our prayers. Amen. Um, Sister Pleasure. Wow. All right, Brother Paul's daughter had her baby two months old. So if we could pray for uh, that baby, for that family. Also, I think that's about the weight of what uh, Nate and Jackie's twins are right now, about We'll we'll keep them in our prayers. Brother Bo? Yeah, let's pray for Andy. It's real quiet when that thing goes off. That's all right. Amen. Um, I just want to share one thing. I was talking to uh, Ray Irvin. Some of you know that he's uh, James Wilson and Draylon. He's their manager. He manages all the business side of their music. Uh, anyway, he's a um, good apostolic young man, but we were talking the other day, and he was sharing with me that uh, growing up, they were very, uh, a lot of poverty in their family. Uh, um, dad was an alcoholic, and mom mom would bring the kids to church, uh, but dad wouldn't have nothing to do with it, and uh, just a, not a good home environment. I think the dad, when he wasn't, um, you know, hungover or whatever the case might be, he would work. Uh, for a, a company, tow, towing company, wrecking company that went and go, you know, cleaned up wrecks and picked up vehicles that had been in, in uh, incidents. And uh, finally, on one, one service, the mom was able to talk the dad into coming to church with her. And he came to church, and there was a move of God that, in that service. And in that one service that his dad attended, he received the Holy Ghost. God delivered him from his addiction. His life was transformed. Amen. And... As a result of that, the dad got delivered from alcoholism. Instead of working for a wrecking company, he started a wrecking company. God began to bless that family financially and in every other way. One service, the difference one service made. We have a responsibility today. Well, it's Memorial Day. I don't care what day it is. Did you know it's also Pentecost Sunday? All right, so you can look at it either way. It's both, all right? But we can't afford, I don't, whether it's Wednesday night or Sunday, we can, you never know that one service somebody's going to walk into. Amen. 
and they can't walk into a dead church that's just putting the check in the block. And let's just hurry up and get through this so we can get on to our picnics and cookouts and whatever else we may be. All of that's good. Go home and do your cook. I'm going to do one myself. All right, do your picnics. Do whatever you can do today. That's great. Nothing against that. But let's not just pass over this to get to that. Somebody today is going to walk into this building today in need of a touch of God. In fact, a lot of people are going to come today in need of a touch of God. And so I'm asking us to really focus. Amen. Focus today on our worship. Focus today in brotherly love. Amen. They're going to know our disciples, that, that we're his disciples by the way that we show love one to another. And we're not going to take a day off from that. Amen. Amen. So let's put our focus today and our, our concerted effort today. And let's join together right now and pray over the service. Lord, we lift you up today. We pray for the needs that have been made known, God, the names that have been called out. Lord, for Andy Goldstein, God, we pray for his healing. Hallelujah, Lord. I pray for Brother Paul, God, for his daughter and that grandbaby. We ask you, Lord, that you would touch that baby. Lord, for Nate and Jackie's babies, God, that have been born, uh, Lord, prematurely but are doing well. We're thankful, God. Lord, all the needs represented within this church body, those that are traveling this weekend. Hallelujah, Lord. I pray that you would keep them. Hallelujah, God, that you would be with them. We pray, Lord, for uh, Brother Henry, for his healing. God, for Sister Barry, Lord, for the Rivera's, for Elder Scriber, Lord, for Mike Wood. In the name of Jesus, every need that has been made known today and every need that is represented. And I pray today that living hope, God, would exercise maturity. Lord, it's maturity that God on days when maybe many families are out and it's a holiday weekend. Lord, but maturity says we're going to worship today anyhow because it's not just about us. Lord, but there's somebody that's going to walk into this building today that needs a move of God. They need their lives to be transformed. This may be the one opportunity they have today to be touched by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so, God, we're not going to give you a Cain leftover sacrifice. God, we're going to come today and give you our best, Lord. We're going to give you the best offering of our worship and our praise today in Jesus' name. And we pray, Lord, that you would move in this place. Have your way in every Sunday school class. Have your way in every song that is sung, Lord. Have your way, God. Uh, Lord, in every element of this service today, move in our altar call today. Let lives, oh God, be liberated, set free, and transformed today, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And uh, I did want to share one other thing. Brother Jesus uh, had spoken with me, and JC is home. Amen. And we're thankful. Amen. And uh, the one thing that the family is requesting, when JC comes, give him a little bit of space. All right? doesn't mean don't shake him. Sh- no, don't, don't shake his hand. It does mean don't shake him. All right? But, but give him a little bit of room, okay, if we can do that as a church body. And, uh, and let's just give God an opportunity to work on his heart and prepare him. And, and when the time is right, we'll know it's right. Amen. But we're just going to love him. Sometimes love brings down some walls that nothing else can bring down. Amen. Amen. Everybody ready to worship the Lord today? Amen. So uh, take a moment, greet one another, and uh, we've got about five minutes until Sunday school is ready to start.
Amen. Brother Trey is going to be coming in just a moment. He's going to be teaching. Uh, one other prayer request that I didn't mention this Tuesday, I do have a meeting with the uh, folks from Head Start, and I don't know. Pray God's will, all right? If it's not right for us, I don't want to do it. If it is right for us, I don't want to miss it. Amen. So just kind of be praying with me about God's will for that meeting. Uh, I, I don't have a lot of detail. I know it's going to be at 1 o'clock. Uh, I'm not sure where or if it's a virtual Zoom meeting or if it'll be in person. I'm not sure yet. So if you could just be in prayer with me about that meeting. Amen. All right. Brother Trey is coming. He's about to bring the word. Anybody come ready for a word today? How many of you love teaching? Teaching helps us build the foundation. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. That's all right. We can do that. That's an action. Praise the Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get it out as we prepare for this morning. Give me a second to get situated up here. Before I get started, I do want to take a moment and give honor to our pastor for allowing me to stand before you again to teach. I never take this opportunity lightly, especially this morning. I feel like what I am going to teach about is uh, kind of what I've gone through in preparation for this lesson. But if you have your Bible, Judges chapter 7 is where we're going to start. And I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, Then Jerubbabel, who was Gideon, and all the people that were with him, they rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give thee or give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. And I want to look at that verse. We're going to read some more. But the Lord said unto Gideon that the people that are with you are too many. Skip down to verse 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into your hand, and let all the people... The other people go every man unto his place. So the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent. And he retained or he kept the 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into your hand. And one more passage of scripture I'd like us to read this morning. Would you turn to the book of Psalms? We're going to read chapter 20, just one verse, one passage. I do think it sort of summarizes, again, what we're going to teach this morning. Verse 7, Psalm chapter 20 says, Some trust in chariots, and some implied here trust in horses, but we will remember or we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, we give you praise. We give you thanks, Lord, for all that you're going to do on this day. 
God, and as we sit through this class, Lord, would you anoint our minds, God, to hear, God, your word today. Would you, God, help us focus our minds on you, Lord. We turn our attention towards you and our affections towards you, God. Speak to us today and help us to grow, God, through your word. Challenge us, Lord God, before we leave this place. In Jesus' name, I praise you. Would you clap your hands unto the Lord? You may be, you may be seated. And this morning, I just want to teach on a simple thought, and it is God's way to victory. God's way to victory. So if you have victory this morning, do me a favor, would you wave your hand? If you don't, keep it down. But if you're victorious, would you wave your hand? Amen. So as we come to a close on this month, and this is uh, Memorial Day weekend, very popular holiday. It's Pentecost Sunday as well, if you don't know. Um, but we're going to finish out this theme of victory in the Lord and victory in Jesus. How many know everybody loves a good story? Right? Everybody loves a good story. How many book readers do I have in the house? You like to read kind of the nonfiction. Fiction is history, right? I think I got that right. Historical, historical things are good too, but... And we'll talk about that. But a lot of times we read nonfiction because it's, a, it's an entertaining read. It does something to us when the good guy wins and the bad guy loses, right? And then if we look on the fictional side of things, historically, many of us love good sports victories, good stories of rags to riches or, you know, this person was done wrong, but now they are justified either through the law or something along those lines. We love a good, a good story. Millions of dollars, billions of dollars, I would say, are made every year as news outlets attempt to provide the hot topic or the best stories of the day. And as I was studying, I was thinking about some of my favorite historical uh, victories or even sports victories. It's always cool when you see that team that's down 3-1 come back and win in the end or um, I think it was, I'm trying to remember the actual, was it Tom Brady in the Super Bowl came back on Atlanta. They were down at halftime by like 18 points or 20 points, and he came back and win. No, we're not talking about the Cowboys this morning, all right? I'm a Tampa Bay fan. There we go. All right. But. One of, my, one of the things I, I did get to witness uh, in person, uh, many of you know my background a little bit. I got to race dirt bikes as a child, and one of my favorite riders, his name is James Stewart, um, at Bud's Creek, actually, he, he almost had a perfect season. And at the very end of the season, he lost the moto, and he ended up going, he has 24 races over the year, and he ended up going 23-1. and one. And he crashed in, in Red Bud, Michigan, and he... He tried to come back in that race, but his bike quit on him, and so that was the only race he didn't win. But earlier in that year at Bud's Creek, when I was there that day, he almost had another opportunity where he, he lost. Normally, when you race a dirt bike race, it's a 30-minute race, and then after 30 minutes, you do two more laps, and then the, red, the checker flag comes out, and that's the end of the race. Well, at the very beginning of the race, in the first turn, if you haven't watched a motocross race, 40 riders take off at one time. They get to the first corner, and that's how the race begins. Everyone takes off. Well, in the first turn, he crashes, gets ran over, and he has to pick up his bike. He struggles to get it started for about a minute and a half. And now, you know, the race is a minute and a half underway. 
He gets on his bike, gets squared away, takes his time, and ends up coming from 40th place all the way back to first, and he won. I was there that day. The whole crowd was going crazy as this man came from the back of the pack all the way to the front and won. How many? We just love good stories, right? We love when someone has an unexpected or come from behind victory, and the world goes crazy over things like that. But how many know even in the Bible there's a lot of stories where there's an unlikely victor. There's an unorthodox victory within the Bible. And I got a list of them here, but Jericho, many of us would consider it to be an unorthodox victory, right? Who wins a battle by walking and walking alone or walking only, right? And so walking around some walls would not be a battle plan that we would come up with. If we were to do it our way, that's not how we would do it. Samson is also an unlikely victor. Not that he was strong and he was mighty, but literally he killed the Philistines like one against a hundred all the time. Like the odds were always against him. He would pick up, I think it was the jawbone of a donkey, and he would destroy this army that would come against him. Jonathan, he would face the Philistines with his armor bearer. Not only would he face them two against, I think it was 20 or 30 that he fought, but he had to go uphill. And if you know anything about warfare, having the high ground is the key, right? If you are above your enemy, then that's the easy way for you to win. But not only did he come from down the hill and up the hill, he was outnumbered, and God still gave him the victory. David in, in, in the Bible is obviously one of the lessons I was studying as I was preparing this morning was David versus Goliath. And you would consider David absolutely to be an unorthodox victor in his battle against the giant Goliath because he was a young young youth. He had never had a, a battle of that type before. He did battle a lion and, and a bear, but fighting a giant was a different thing. Another maybe unorthodox victor in the Bible, not from a warfare standpoint, would be the Apostle Paul. We know when he was Saul, right, when his, before he was converted, he was not you know, living for God. He was not uh, a popular person for the church because he was persecuting the church, right? He was the enemy of God at that point in time. And who would imagine that the very enemy that would put people in the jail and, and would persecute them and would stand to the side and watch Stephen be stoned would be the very same person we're reading about in the Bible, writing all these books and living for God. And then lastly, the other victor, I would say, probably the greatest victor of all because we have victory in him would be Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. I think the Bible says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Many people looked at Jesus and said, this man, right, especially the people that he grew up with, they didn't believe that he could do what he could do, right? No one was looking for a king, the king of kings, to come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. I think Prophetically, that was what it was said to do, but many people were looking for a conqueror. They were looking for this, you know, hero like David, this mighty warrior, and that's not who Jesus showed up to be. Yes, we know that's who he is, but at the time, he was an unlikely king, an unlikely person to believe in because he wasn't what everyone thought he was. And I've come really this morning to give us this simple thought, but God's way to victory is often much, much different than our way to victory. God's plans 
how he unveils those plans, how he performs his plan is different than how we would go about it. As I was contemplating the different victories in the Bible, if I was Joshua and I had to fight this city of Jericho, why would I do all this walking? If God were to tell me, look, I'm going to give you the city, Jericho is yours, then hold up, God, let's just forget about these seven days of walking. Let's just ignore that we need to walk around. Just drop the walls now, God. Like, why do I have to go through this unorthodox battle plan of walking? I already know you're going to give me the victory, God, but why can't you just do it now? Why wait, right? Have you ever asked that question? Why why wait, God? You said you were going to do it. Well, why wait? Just do it. Let's get it over with. Why can't you do it now? And so I want us to turn our attention now to this story of Gideon. And the first time we find Gideon is when the Bible says in Judges chapter 6 that he is threshing wheat in a wine press. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. Judges 6 and 11, and there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which is in Oprah, that pertained to Joash, the Abyssalite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now, if you know anything about wheat or a wine press or even this story, Gideon is not in a good situation. He's not in the ideal situation many of us would want to live in, right? The success rate for what Gideon is doing at the moment is very, very low. If you want to contribute to your nation, if you want to be a, a good citizen of society, then threshing wheat in a wine press is not the uh, occupation you want to have. One, because you're supposed to throw the wheat in the air and the wind's supposed to, you know, separate the good and the bad. There's no wind in a wine press. There's no, uh, maybe you throw it in the air and blow it, something. I don't know. There's no wheat in, in, in a wine press. And so in this time, the children of Israel, they were living in caves because of the Midianite that would come up. And it, and it seems like, you know, they would take a step forward and then have to take two steps back. They would, they would uh, try to live as a nation and then the Midianites would come in and steal the harvest every single time they would, they would try to grow something. And so if you're kind of understanding this dynamic of, of Gideon's life, the first words that the angel tell to Gideon are, uh, are very, very interesting because the angel calls Gideon a mighty man of valor or a mighty hero, other translations say. But when you read it further into that story in, in verse 15 of Judges chapter 6, Gideon's response to the angel is that, Oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is, is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So we have an angel calling Gideon mighty, and Gideon saying, I'm not mighty at all. I'm not, I, I'm not a mighty man. I'm, I'm not, I don't have anything good going for me. I, I, I don't have... Look, my job even, it's not a successful job. Here I am trying to, you know, get this wheat, and I'm in a wine press. I'm not in the ideal place to be. How is it that oftentimes when God tells us who we can be, we often have a negative viewpoint of what God is able to do through us? 
Why, why do we look at ourselves in such a negative light? Why do we, you know, consider ourselves many, many times as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, we look at ourselves in a lowly manner, I guess is the best way to put it. I'm reminded when Moses is standing at the burning bush and God is telling Moses, similar to what he's telling Gideon, that you're going to lead my people. And what does Moses do? He starts giving excuses of why God can't use him. How many times do we give God an excuse? And God's like, I see all of that. I already know who you are. Gideon, I already know you're in a wine press, you know, doing something that's really not going to work, but you're trying anyway. How many can testify? We do things that we know aren't going to work, but we keep doing them anyway. And God's like, I see you there. I know what you're doing, and I'm coming to you for a reason. <clears throat> you see, God sees the best in us oftentimes when we don't see the best in ourselves. Sometimes we're like Gideon, and we see the worst in us, and we might not think that we're strong enough. We might not think that we're important enough. We're not big enough. We're not smart enough. But God sees who we really are and who we can be. And he knows that not only is it, I guess the best way to put this, not only is our ability to do something for God important, but it's more importantly what God can do through our ability. Does that make sense? We say, God, I'm not big enough. We say, God, I'm not strong enough. And God's like, you got enough strength already. You're bigger than you really think you are. How many knows the enemy knows how good you can be through God? That's why the enemy tries to trap you up. That's why the Midianites were keeping the children of Israel in the caves, because they knew that if they get out, if they, if they continue to be who God has called them to be, then they're going to prosper. And so oftentimes we look at ourselves in a negative view, and God's like, you don't know what I can do through you. And so... In this story, Gideon is called by God to rescue Israel, even though Gideon feels like he's not qualified enough. And I found this quote. I don't remember where I found it as I was putting these, this cobbling, this message together. But this quote in this commentary says that God does not call us or God does not call, let me read it correctly, the qualified. But he qualifies those that he calls. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies those that he calls. Gideon's story teaches us that we're never too small or too broken for God to use. He can do great things through you just as he does with Gideon. Philippians 4.13, we know this verse, but I can do all things through Christ with strengthens me. Somebody say all things. Doesn't matter if you think you can do it. Or if you don't feel qualified to do it, but God can do anything through you. You know, oftentimes living for God and being in church, we confine God to these four walls, right? We think God has to get them here in order to do the work. But really, if we understand that God can do all things, then it's not a building that, you know, limits God. It's us that limits God, all right? And so eventually, we have to get to a place where we move beyond the doubt of our qualifications. And we move into the point where we begin to trust God. And then from trusting God, 
We have to move to a place of obedience and action. And that's when we begin to operate by faith. Faith is just more than understanding that God can do anything. But faith is the action and the trust that whatever step I take, God is going to be with me through the process. And so if we want to have victory in our lives, then we must make this transition that I'm, that I'm talking about. We must get to a point where we get beyond our qualifications and we get to the point where we're operating by faith. And some of us, this is a very difficult place to be because I, and I include myself in this. We have this history of repeating this cycle of where we doubt God or where we doubt that God can do it through us. And so it's like a song on repeat. We, we, we doubt God, and then God has to reaffirm us that, yes, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. And then we have to get to this point where we trust God. And then after we get to the point where we trust God, we, we start doing the action. And we have to learn as people of God to break out of this cycle to where we just automatically start living by action. And so I had this question come up. And I apologize if it feels like I'm sort of scattered in my notes. My wife can testify. I, uh, I had like four different lessons put together, and they're sort of cobbled into this one as one. But, and I say, I, I, I kind of mention that point because I feel like it's sort of the theme that what I want to talk about is how have you ever been stuck in this rut where you're stuck with paralysis by analysis? Anybody? Can you testify? where you've been stuck in this place where, God, I know I have to do something, but I'm paralyzed by what action that I should take. Gideon had a little bit of that in him, right? When, he, when the angel tells him, you're a mighty man of valor, Gideon's like, you talking to somebody else, right? And uh, one of the things I also like about this story is that we get to see the humanity part of Gideon, right? We get to see Gideon begin to question not only his ability, but also the word of God in that God could use him. And so when I talk about paralysis by analysis, many of us know we begin to weigh all the options, the good, the bad. We begin to weigh if we can do it or if we can't do it, whether we take the risk or we don't take the risk at all, and we just stay where we're at because it's comfortable. And what I like about this story is God is patient with Gideon. God doesn't smack him around and say, get your act together. I told you you're going to do this, so do it. God doesn't do that. But three times Gideon asked God for a sign. Have you ever asked the Lord, show me a sign? Yeah. Right? That's so, that's a, I know Brother Emery was here a week ago, and he said be careful about the detailed prayers that you ask God about. Be careful when you ask God to show you a sign because he will. He will show you a sign. And the question is, like Gideon, do you believe the sign or not? Or do you repeat the cycle and start doubting God again, right? We do that as people of God. We say, God, show me this is what you want me to do. And God says, well, here it is. All right, God, show me one more time because I'm not sure. Let me flip a coin. Heads or tails, Lord. We, we do this. But three times Gideon asked the Lord for a sign. And the first time when the angel is there, the angel consumes his offering and if you read the story, I don't have it written down right here, but if you read the story in Judges chapter 6, one of the things that stood out to me is that the fire that consumes the offering, normally we think about a fire when God consumes an offering for such a sign, the fire falls from heaven, right? How many know that when you read the Bible? In this particular instance, the fire comes out of the rock. 
does it fall from heaven? Just a little tidbit. I don't know why I said that. Anyway, all right. The next two signs are with the fleece. One time the fleece is dry and everything else around it is wet. The next time the fleece is wet and everything around it is dry. And so in this, in this cycle that is repeating in Gideon's life, eventually he has to get to the point where he has to trust God. Right? No more signs, God. I, I've made up my mind. I trust you. I trust what you have said. I trust that somehow you're going to use me to save my nation. And so at some point we have to get beyond this, this doubt and trust and we have to move into action and obedience. We have to trust God and his word. And so Gideon was convinced that God wanted him to lead this group of men who had gathered around him. But as we go through this story and we go back to Judges chapter 7, now Gideon has amassed this army. And if you count up the army, it's 32,000 men. That's a pretty good army, right? 32,000 people fighting on your behalf. They're, they're led by you. We get to this point now where Gideon's getting ready to fight the battle. He's gotten beyond the doubt. He's gotten beyond just trusting God. And now he's to the point where he's starting to take an action. And we get to this point and God says, Gideon, hold up. You got too many people with you. You've got too many men. And the reason behind this reason of why you have too many men is that God wanted Israel to know that it's not the might of the 32,000 men that would save them, but that God himself would save them. And so God asked Gideon to decrease his army. Judges chapter 7 and verse 2, and the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many. Too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel takes the credit for it and says, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from the Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 22,000 and there remained 10,000. What an interesting word from the Lord here. Gideon's made up his mind. He's set for action. And God tells him. All of his work up until this point is not enough, or it's actually too much, if I want to phrase it that way. You have too many people with you. Now, what if the reason why, for you and I today, what if the reason why we're not experiencing victory is because we have too much, vice too little? What if we have too much going on in our life, right? We've amassed this army. We've amassed these resources. And it's the resources that we have gathered together that is the limiting factor in our victory. Maybe it's we have too much time. Maybe it's we have too much going on. Maybe we have too much money, and that's why God can't give us the victory. What a weird situation to be in, right? No one wants to pray that prayer. God, decrease my bank account so that I can have victory. But would you be willing to decrease your bank account if you knew that your victory was, was resting on that? Hello, somebody. What if the resources that we have gathered together, and because God told us to get them together, right? When we look, God, God said, I'm going to use you, Gideon. God said, you're going to save, you're going to save the nation. So Gideon's doing his best like we do. We do our best in this life. But we've amassed too many resources. How can such an abundance be a hindrance 
unto the Lord. This is a great test of faith, I believe, on behalf of Gideon. Because at first, Gideon didn't think God could use him at all, right? Many of us are that way. We're like, God, can you really use me to do what you say you're going to use me for? But now we're walking with God. We're doing the things of God. We're living our best life. We've got people that are with us. And now it's the people that are with us, the resources we've amassed, that are a hindrance unto the Lord. And if you've read this story of Gideon, it's sort of an oxymoron here in this, in this kind of thought because Gideon's army of 32,000, right, 3200, was facing an army of 135,000. So Gideon's already outnumbered in this battle, 135 to 32, right? Who would take those odds? Anybody? No, we would not. We'd be crying out, God, you're saying I don't have enough. Or actually, you're saying, Lord, that I have too much, and I'm saying, God, I don't have enough, right? Have you ever been there where you're like, Lord, I don't have enough money, God. You want me to give. I don't have enough. And God's like, you got plenty. Matter of fact, let me take what you got and leave you what you have. And that's where I want you to have victory, right? And I can just imagine being in Gideon's shoes. Lord, you're telling me that I have too much, and I know, God, that I don't have enough. You know, there are many times in my life where I've told Jesus that I didn't have enough. I didn't have enough power to do what he asked me to do. I didn't have enough anointing to do what he asked me to do. I didn't have enough money. I didn't have enough X, Y, Z. And all of us can fill in the blanks because there are times in our life where we feel like we have fallen short of what God is trying to tell us to do. But in this instance, God is telling Gideon it wasn't the uh, smallness of the delta between the army of Midian and him, it was the delta of what God could do with what Gideon had. And so the reason why his army was too big was because God said Israel would take credit for the victory if they had 32,000 troops. They could believe that they were the underdogs in this story who triumphed through their own great bravery or strategy. God wanted, and here, listen to me real quick, God wanted the odds to be so bad in this occasion that victory would clearly be given to God and God alone. And if we really understand this principle, you know, Zechariah 4 and 6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, then we would understand that our smallness in whatever battle we're facing doesn't really matter. If you feel like the enemy is, has an overwhelming odds against you, then whatever you have, doesn't necessarily matter. If we really believe the principle that some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God, then the amount that you face or the amount that you have when you go into the battle doesn't matter. But let's get back to the story. So now we're down to 10,000 men. We're down from 32,000 to 10,000. Judges 7 and chapter 4, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet again too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will try them for thee. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. And so we rarely think that the bigness of what we have can be a hindrance to the work of God. Yet it is harder to truly rely on God when we have so many wonderful resources at hand. 
Though it can certainly be done, it is hard to be big and rely only on the Lord. When we're big or when we have enough or we have too much, it's possible to take those human resources, in this case of this army, and when we fight the battle and win, that's when we give the credit to God, rather than before we fight the battle, giving the credit to God. And so the moral of what I want to say this morning is that sometimes God puts us or allows us to go through seasons of loss in order for us to find victory in him. Sometimes God has to subtract some things from us in order for us to have true victory. There are times where we have to lose some things in order for God to only allow us to rely on him. Right? Because if we had those other things in our life, we would maybe rely on those things. We would rely on the money in the bank account. We rely on the job. We rely on these resources that we have amassed, and they're not bad things. But we'll start giving the credit to those things instead of the credit to God. The Bible tells us that in our weakness, we are what? We're made strong. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul at one point in his life was in danger of being if you really want to come down to it, he was too strong for his own good. Therefore, God brought a weakness into his life that would cause the Apostle Paul to rely on God's strength. And, and for that strength to be uh, stronger in his life than ever before. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7 says, Unless, this is Paul saying, I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And for this thing I besought the Lord three times, thrice, that it might depart from me. And God said unto, the, unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities than the power that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And I want to kind of, before I move on really quickly, is maybe that's speaking to somebody this morning. It, it spoke to me, but sometimes we want God to take away, you know, the loss that we've experienced sometimes. That obviously God is subtracting things from us, and we want God to restore it back to how it used to be, right? We want God to restore the parts of my life, God, that you've taken away from me because I don't know if I can make it. Well, the truth is, if you had those resources, if we're going to go through this viewpoint of Gideon's story, if we had those resources, you were never going to get the victory in the first place. So I want to challenge someone and maybe speak to someone today. I'm speaking to myself, really, that sometimes we need to be careful for praying for God to give us back the things that he's taken away. Because if we had those things that God was taking away, we would never have the victory that God wants us to have. Does that make sense? Does that, does that maybe help someone this morning? And so as I get ready to close this morning, I want to kind of summarize the rest of this story of Gideon. Gideon chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. So he brought 
the people down to the water. And the Lord said, everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. And let all the other people go, every man unto his place. And so in summary of continuing on just to the end, Gideon prepared his men. And he equipped him, if you know the story, with a lamp and a horn. You guys can stand with me as I'm coming to a close. And the interesting part of the rest of this story is after God reduces Gideon's resources down to 300, the only other instruction that God gives unto Gideon is that he is supposed to arise and go down to where the Midianites are fighting and he's supposed to win. It's literally, if I'm paraphrasing the passage of Scripture, it's God doesn't give Gideon any more instruction. From that point forward, Gideon's faith is, the, is what has to see him through this battle. And the interesting part is, if you read the context of the story, Gideon's army, it's an army, but Gideon tells them not to bring a weapon. They're supposed to fight this battle with a lamp and a horn. And that instruction doesn't come from God. That instruction comes from Gideon. And it struck me as a weird way to fight as we're talking about God's way to victory and unorthodox ways of how we're supposed to win battles. This is an unorthodox plan of how to win. Not only are you outnumbered, but you don't have a weapon in your hand. All you have is a lamp that's covered with a pitcher, right? And you have a horn in your hand that you're supposed to blow when Gideon tells you to blow it. Um, but I think in, a, in, a, in such a way, Gideon was also trying to maybe get his army to see God through the lens that he got to see God. Because I don't know if I would be comfortable fighting such an, a large army with, without a weapon, right? 130,000 people. Have you ever been to a place where there's 100,000 people? Anybody? Have you ever been to a stadium of some sort where there's thousands of people on hand? Can you imagine fighting such a crowd of people without a weapon. Like, I wouldn't fight y'all today if y'all were to fight me without a weapon. Like, I need something. I'll maybe take the belt off and start swinging. I don't know. I need something that's going to that's gonna help me fight. But I think God, or maybe Gideon in this case, was trying to help his army understand, don't let the smallness of what's in your hands or the, or the situation you find yourself in limit your faith into what God is able to do. Because the truth of the matter is, and this is how I want to end this morning, is God doesn't need anything else that you have but your faith. That's all that God needs. That's it. Such a simple, such a simple thought, right? I go back to Gideon and how he said he wasn't qualified and how he said he was the least in the family. His tribe was the least of the children of Israel. God sees all that. God sees all the qualifications that we have, and he says, you know what? I can work with what you have. What you need to have, really, though, is faith. Just have faith in me. Obey what I tell you to do, and that is the pathway to the victory in the Lord. What is it God wants you to do today? What is it that you believe might be impossible in your life? The truth is, whatever God wants from you, it's probably going to be more impossible 
for you to do on your own, right? More impossible than you can imagine. Yet when you obey him and trust him and have faith in him in every step of the way, don't worry, it'll make sense of what he wants you to do. God is accomplishing his purposes on the earth through each and every one of us today. And all it takes is our faith. That's God's way to victory is our faith in him. Would you bow your heads this morning? Oh, God, we we thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray, God, would you challenge us, Lord, God, not to get bitter or get upset, Lord, about the things that you might be taking away from our life, God, because, Lord, you're trying to prepare us for victory. God, you're preparing us, Lord, to live in, in the victorious life that you want us to have, God. And so I pray, God, we would trust you and have faith in you. And, Lord God, we would fight our battles with such a faith, God, that you're able to do anything. God, help us today to get beyond our doubt, Lord, and to begin to trust you. God, and to turn that trust into action, Lord. And, God, I pray, Lord, we want to live victoriously through you, God. And so as we close today, God, we lift you up. We bless you. We thank you, God, for what you're going to do in us and through us, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Would you clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen. Would you greet one another? Parents, don't forget to get your children as we get ready for our coffee and conversation. Amen.